Well, if you turn with me to Isaiah 9, the ninth chapter, I don't want to speak especially about this chapter, but I have some things on my heart this morning which I think are very important prophetically. And I, it's a thing that has thrilled my heart during this last week because after I had felt that God laid this upon my heart, and it would mostly have to do with Daniel's prophecies, I realized that uh, nothing had been written on it, and yet to me it is the seal of the prophetic utterances of God concerning the birth of his Son. And of course the wonderful prophecies that we have concerning Jesus' birth, written hundreds of years before he came, are so tremendous, even that portion we read this morning from Isaiah, the ninth chapter, for unto us, the sixth verse, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Notice that. The government of the universe is finally going to be completely his. Right now, the great conflict time is. The conflict for men's souls between Satan and Christ. This is the colossal, tremendous, global, universal war that is going on for the souls of men. We would have to deny the words of Jesus if we do not believe this. Jesus says there are two groups in the world. He looks at the lowest. He says, you are of your father, the devil. This is Jesus now. This is not passed again. You are of your father, the devil. And then to his own, he says, and ye are the children of God. And the thing that differentiates in this world, there are only two groups of, groups of people in all the world, and that is those who have been born again by faith of the incorruptible seed of the word of God, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Those who have trusted Christ as personal Savior have had the new birth and the seal of the Holy Spirit dwelling within their breast, so they know they're redeemed for eternity. This is the great work of God through Jesus Christ. And then there is the other group who have not been born again, who have not found Christ. And this doesn't mean that they're not religious. They can be extremely religious. They'll be occupying pews in churches this morning throughout this country. But there will be no new birth because the new birth is not preached. Christ is not believed on as the Son of God, the virgin-born Son, born of the Holy Ghost. He is not trusted in as personal Savior. He is merely regarded as one who came, who is a great teacher, a great rabbi. He is one who had great moral teachings, and they will place him beside Mohammed and Buddha and Confucius and so all of these have their thought. But I would remind you that God does not allow this. He said, I am a jealous God. There is none other than me. And that there's no one else that we can go to. Remember when Peter speaks to Jesus 
And after Jesus has spoken to the to all of the disciples, and many leave him and go away, and he looks at his own, the twelve, and he says, Would you also leave me? And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. You see? Now this is the difference. If you're looking for eternal life, you must go to the eternal one. Confucius is dead and Buddha is dead and Muhammad is dead, but Christ is risen. And the seal upon his whole ministry is involved in the resurrection from the dead. And so as we consider the portion here, unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It seems as though God is making sure we make no mistake who this son is. It doesn't become a mystery. Do you remember when the Jews, when Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God, and it says, and the Jews drove upon him to kill him because he had said God was his father. But the way he had said it was what they objected to. They all would say, God is our father. But he had said that he was born of the very act of God upon his mother, the Virgin Mary, and that he came into the world and that the Father was in the Son. And it was the very essence of all that God is. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So that when Jesus came to the time when he said, I and my Father are one. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. The Jews wanted to kill him. But, beloved, you will note the prophecy is very clear. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Almighty God. Notice, the Everlasting Father. Amazing. Here's the prophecy. A child is born, a son is given, and the son who's given is the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. So that the prophecy, you see, is most clear hundreds of years before that when Christ came, he should be this prophesied of one who should be the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God who made heaven and earth. And so, beloved, this prophecy put together with Micah's prophecy that Jesus should be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2, with the prophecies of Isaiah 7:14, if you turn back just a page, where it says, Wherefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The meaning of Emmanuel, according to the New Testament, is God with us. But these prophecies are all beforehand of the coming of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 9, 6 that we've just read, Micah 5, 2 that he'd be born in Bethlehem. We could go down prophecy after prophecy to show of Christ's coming birth. And all of these prophecies are wonderful. But I have a prophecy on my mind this morning that is never used in Christ's birth. 
And that prophecy is involved in the prophetic utterances of Daniel. And to me, it is the most wonderful prophecy, for it dates the birth of Christ, which is marvelous to me. The others do not date his birth, but Daniel dates his birth. Now, the most amazing things, and I want you to listen very carefully here this morning, for it's a very important thing. The angel Gabriel is only mentioned four times in all Scripture. The angel Gabriel is mentioned twice in the prophecy of Daniel and twice in the record of Luke's birth of Christ. And that's all. And yet Gabriel is the great, mighty angel of God Whoever stands, it says, in the presence of God. And Gabriel, the one who announces the birth of Christ, remember, he's the one that comes to Mary. He's the one, if I might just read it to you, in Luke, in the first chapter. Let me read so you understand. Four records, you can look in your Strong's Concordance or Young's Concordance, there are only four mentions of the angel Gabriel. This is an amazing thing. I myself have to be frank. I had an idea when I looked up Gabriel that I would find him mentioned many, many times through Scripture because of the greatness of the angel. I thought he would be mentioned maybe a hundred times, but I find he's only mentioned four times in all of Scripture. Notice now, two of the mentionings are in Luke, and notice how they're mentioned. Luke, in the 19th verse of the first chapter, he is the one who comes to, remember, to Zacharias and tells him of the birth of John the Baptist, who shall be the forerunner of the Lord. Notice, 19th verse, And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. He's the only angel ever said that. That stand in the presence of God. And I am sent to speak to thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words. You see, when he spoke to Zacharias and told him that Elizabeth was going to have a child, Elizabeth was barren, and once more there was that whole thought here, how could these things be? And then Gabriel says, now you're going to be dumb because you haven't believed what I've told you about this. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak. And they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them, and he remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own white house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And so the child John the Baptist is a miracle child of a natural generation and a barren woman. And Gabriel 
announces, I have come from the very side of God himself. This is my ministry to you. Now notice the next verse. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel Gabriel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Remember the uh, prophecies of Isaiah, the government shall be upon his shoulder. These are all things that are being gloriously brought to mind by Gabriel. The great prophecies of all of human history, down through the Old Testament, speaking of the coming Messiah, starting with Genesis 3.15, when the enmity was between the seed of the woman, Christ, and the seed of the devil itself. The great conflict set up back in Genesis. Now Gabriel is coming from the very throne of God, the side of God, and announcing to her about him who's to come. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this thing be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. How glorious. Gabriel twice is used by God. Now Gabriel must have then a special ministry, a special relationship to God to be the one who should announce, number one, John's birth, the one who should be the forerunner of the Lord, John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, and then to marry the very birth of Jesus Christ himself. We depend upon this completely, you see. This is the record of the angel Gabriel who came and spoke for God to the hearts of Zacharias and to the heart of Mary. Now, beloved, as I looked up the word Gabriel, I have noticed as I was reading Daniel that here was a portion of Scripture which had to do with something very, very clear. Daniel is told that the visions that he has have to do with the last days. Daniel receives a great vision from God. And he receives a vision concerning the people of Israel. And I would remind you that Paul says salvation is of the Jews. 
Salvation is of Israel. That's how we received our Messiah. And so in Daniel, Gabriel is sent by God to speak. It seemed to me there's a great divine lesson God has for us here and a great divine truth that he wants to bring to our hearts because he used Gabriel to speak of John's birth and of Jesus' birth. And he uses Gabriel to speak to Daniel. He's mentioned twice speaking to Daniel and twice in speaking in the Gospel of Luke to Zacharias and to Mary. Now he does a tremendous thing with Daniel. He lays down the precise time of Christ's birth so there would be no mistake. Marvelous. What does he say? Let me read to you so that you get the conception here. In the eighth chapter of Daniel, if you would turn, I'm just going to read this portion to show you when Gabriel speaks first to Daniel and then the second time in the ninth chapter. Fifteenth verse. Daniel has just, remember Belshazzar and the visions and a man to interpret the visions and Daniel is the man. Now notice. And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning of the vision, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, and I fell upon my face, and he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be this vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, and he touched me, and he set me upright, and he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for the time appointed, the end shall be. Remember, this is written 2,500 years ago. Now to Daniel 9. Daniel 9, beginning at the 20th verse. This is the mighty angel standing in the presence of God. And while I was speaking, notice this is Daniel. I want you to notice how he approaches God. I can't help but think this is, this is our approach to God. As I was speaking and I was praying, how do you come to God? And confessing my sin, see how he approaches. As I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me, and he talked with me, and he said, Daniel, I am now come to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth. And I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved 
Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now the vision. Now notice what it says. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, this is Israel, and upon the holy city, to finish the transgression, notice what Daniel says, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Notice the figure 70 weeks. Now, may I just stop here for one minute so that we understand what 70 weeks mean. A week in Scripture spoken in this sense is seven years. If we were to go back to Jacob and Rachel, we find that Jacob had to work for his uncle. It was called a week. He had to put in seven years' labor to get Rachel for a wife. He had to work for his... Just imagine, men, if you had to do this. Seven years he had to work for his uncle before he would be given Rachel. And you'll remember what happened. He worked seven years. And he was fooled because there were veils in those days. And you remember his uncle Laban wanted to get rid of the older daughter. She wasn't married yet. That was Laban. So he gave Jacob Leah for a wife. And to his amazement, when he got home and raised the veil, I've got Leah. So the uncle is very smart. He goes back, he says, you deceived me. Ah, the Jewish mind. Ah, if you'll put seven years more in, and he calls it a week, see? Seven years more, then I'll give you Rachel. He had to work 14 years to get Rachel for wife. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is so you understand when it says 70 weeks are determined upon by God for the whole history of Israel, then it's finished. That's it. Iniquity will be taken care of. Sin will be taken care of. He will make reconciliation for iniquity. There will be an end of sins, and there will bring, a, bring in an everlasting righteousness upon the earth to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy of God. Know therefore, notice this now, here's in speech. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be, what did we call him in Isaiah 9, 6? The Prince of Peace. The anointed one, the holy anointed one of God, the everlasting Father, the almighty God. Notice that the time from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, 49 years, and threescore and two weeks, that's 62 weeks. That is 434 years and 49 years, seven weeks. That's 483 years, or 69 weeks of the 70. Notice that. Not 70 weeks I mentioned. 
69 weeks are mentioned. This street shall be built again on the wall, even in troublesome times. And after that, three score and two weeks shall be, what? Messiah, what? Cut off. But not for himself. He should be crucified. But not for himself. But for the people. Jesus tasted death for every man that he might bring us unto God. Now, the only question we have to answer then is this. He says, Daniel says, I want you to understand this. I want you to see. Gabriel says, Daniel, you'll know, you'll understand perfectly what's coming. And so he says, now, from the commandment that goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem and to establish the worlds again, and from that time, you will count. You will have seven weeks, and it took 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem. And then you will have 60 and two weeks. That is, again, 434 years. So there was 49 and 434, 483 years, leaving seven years left for the 70th week of Daniel, which Jesus speaks of in Matthew concerning the final seven last years of Israel's trouble, of Jacob's trouble, of the great tribulation that is yet to come upon the earth. But God only puts 69 weeks here because after that 69 weeks, Messiah is cut off. Beloved, let me show you that we could know that Jesus was born right at that time by turning over to Nehemiah, where it tells you when Jerusalem was rebuilt. Nehemiah, the second chapter. Nehemiah, the second chapter. Oh, you're going to have to listen. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Now we find out when the building of Jerusalem began. It's in the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is 450 years before Christ. That's history. 450 years before Christ, and then the age of Christ of 33 years is 483 to the time when Messiah is cut off so that all the Jews would have to do is at his crucifixion, when it was prophesied he should be cut off, not for himself, but for his people, was to trace the lineage and the time back of Daniel, and Gabriel told Daniel so that they would know that the one born who said he was Messiah the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the one who said, I am a father of one, was the one who was crucified 483 years or 69 weeks exactly. Now notice. Came to pass in the month of Nisan, April, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king that wine was before him, and I took up the wine, this is Nehemiah, and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said to me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? 
This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said to me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou would send me to Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. The king said to me, and the queen sitting with him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said to the king, If it pleased the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. Down to the 18th verse. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good to me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And so in the twentieth year of the reign of Artaxerxes, Gabriel said to Daniel, Daniel, let me read it to you again so that there's no mistaking. Daniel, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. I want you to think of Christ your Savior. To make an end of the transgression, to make an end of sins, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. No, therefore... And understand this, Daniel, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, sixty-nine weeks. The street shall be built again, and it was, and the wall, and it was, and there were troublesome times. And after three score and two weeks, the sixty-ninth week, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. How can the Jews not understand? Here Daniel places before them so they'll have no doubt about who Messiah is. He says you can figure it in years. Sixty-nine weeks, seven weeks to rebuild Jerusalem, 70, seven weeks... 49 years. 60 and 2 weeks until Messiah shall be cut off. And that not for himself. 69 weeks, 483 years. He says, figure it from the time of Artaxerxes' reign and you will know that the one crucified was the one born in Bethlehem. Thou Bethlehem, from thee shall he come forth. Isaiah 7.14 A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, for it should be God with us. 483 years and Messiah is cut off. 
And then the great age of grace comes in. All you have to do is read Romans 11. Paul says, don't you understand? Don't you know why the Jews have been set apart now? After Messiah was cut off, he says, don't you understand? It's for you that the Gentiles might come in, that the church, the body of Christ might be formed, the great bride of the bridegroom might be formed, and Israel has been laid aside for the time being, but the 70th week is yet coming when I shall gather my people from all the parts of the earth. And there'll be a period of seven years, the last one. Remember Jesus speaking in Matthew and in Mark. He says, and when ye see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. At 69 weeks I was cut off. 483 years I was cut off from the time of the rebuilding of the temple and of the walls of Jerusalem. And now that 70th week, which has been determined by God to end everything. Remember, that's what it says. 70 weeks have been determined by God to end sin, to end all these things, and then to establish a righteous government forever, which we're looking forward to that 70th week. Jesus right now is saying, look up for your redemption, draw us nigh. 483 years have passed. How do we know this? Oh, beloved, listen. Let me read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Let me read this to you. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. This is Messiah. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is prophetic. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. This is how the Jews looked at him. Smitten of God and afflicted by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. We didn't understand it. We Jews did not see. We thought we were right. We thought that he was a usurper. And we said he was smitten by God, not by us. We said we didn't kill him, we did God a favor. We got him out of the way. But look at the prophecy that he was wounded for our transgression. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. Listen to the eighth verse. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? Read it. For he was cut off. Cut off. Daniel. 
what did Gabriel say to you? And the Messiah shall come, and at the end of 69 weeks, he shall be cut off. That's the word. But not for himself. For you. For you. For me. And for the Jews. So the greatest prophecy of all scripture concerning when Christ shall be born and that it was him. Oh, Micah says, Bethlehem, praise God. But some have objected to that and said that could have happened. And some have looked at some of the others, Isaiah 7, 14, and said, ah, but a virgin merely means a Jewish maiden. But the New Testament word for virgin is very clear that the angel Gabriel used. She's a virgin. Born of God was Jesus Christ. But Daniel sets it down in years so that 69 weeks past 483 years, Christ is cut off. And all a Jew has to do is look back and say, it must be him that was born where Micah said he would be born in Bethlehem. Where Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin. Because he has been cut off at the end of 69 weeks and the 70th week is yet to come. The time of Jacob's trouble. How glorious. How tremendous is our God. Gabriel speaks four times. Is it only normal that the one that should speak of Jesus' birth to Mary is the one that should speak to Daniel of his being cut off as the Savior? There's a normal logic to this. The angel who stands at the throne of God is the one who knows and prophesies and speaks to Mary of the birth of Jesus. But long before he had told Daniel, Daniel, it'll take real understanding, but you're going to know that Messiah is going to be cut off at the end of 69 weeks. Seven weeks, he says, then 60 and two weeks, and what? Messiah shall be what? Cut off. Yes. Boy, I tell you, that kind of prophecy is real. 2,500 years ago, telling the time when Christ should go to the cross. Oh, others have talked about that. I'm not saying anything about that. What I'm saying is this that because it told the exact time of his death, all the Jews had to do was to figure out themselves as 483 years past, 69 weeks, Daniel spoke about it, and he says our Messiah would be cut off. We've put him on the cross. He's been bruised for our iniquities. We thought he was smitten of God. That's what we thought. We thought we were right. We thought we were doing God right when we put him on the cross. We thought he was the usurper. But he's the one of whom Isaiah speaks when a child is born, a son is given, and his name is the Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and we haven't even listened to our own prophecies. And now Daniel makes it so clear that he's cut off exactly 483 years, 
So all we got to do is go back 33 years and back to Artaxerxes' reign, and that's exactly where the rebuilding of Jerusalem began. Oh, thou art gracious to give this to us. How blessed. Dr. DeHaan once traced that so wonderfully, the old man, of course. He traced the 69 weeks beautifully so, if you ever read his book on the 69 weeks, showing that Christ died at a precise time. But he never brought it into accord with the birth of Jesus to show that how could you then doubt the birth of Jesus since he had to be born, to be cut off. He had to be man to die. For he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. So that the birth of Christ is sealed up. And now we're looking to that day when Christ shall return. When we shall be caught up to be taken out to escape the wrath which is to come in the 70th week of Daniel. When all hell shall break loose upon this earth. When the powers of heaven shall be shaken. When the Lord shall open his vials of wrath upon a disobedient people. And finally shall set up what? His eternal kingdom where he shall dwell forever and ever. For seventy weeks are determined upon thee and sin shall be removed and iniquity all taken out of the way and then shall he reign forever. Lord, we wait. We look to the day. It's coming. It's coming. Seventieth week yet to come. But we're thankful that we're not going to be here for the seventieth week that thou hast promised us the bride to be caught up and then all hell to break loose upon the earth when little flesh shall be says upon the face of the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and now father we're living in an age when the powers of heaven can be shaken by man and even the journey to the moon is speaking to us of something beyond far beyond anything we think for we always think in the peaceful areas of investigation and of discovery but there's more than that. For no man, no nation has ever gathered something unto itself and used it gloriously for man. Once more, if possible, the moon will become a citadel of power. A great fortress. A bastion to govern the earth if it were possible. But the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. Lord, how blessed thou art. How wondrous. And as we read of Daniel, how Gabriel says to him, now I want you to understand, these are written that you can know. And how he speaks to Mary the same way. Mary, understand this. I am sent from the very throne of God. Here is divine truth. Father, we're so thankful that Gabriel only appeared four times in all of Scripture. And those four times had something to do with the two areas of Christ's life. Number one, to speak of his birth to Mary. Number two, to speak of his death to all mankind. And he speaks of the years and how we should know who it was. We're told where he should be born. 
that it should be a virgin. God gives us everything. Father, we thank thee. Bless this people. Oh, Lord, how we rejoice in thee this morning. How we rejoice in thy birth. For thou didst say when thou didst come to the cross, unto this end was I born, unto this end came I into this world. And that was to suffer death for us. Now, Father, touch our hearts and bless us. And Lord Jesus, we pray that Christmas and all the blessings of Christ will be our portion. Oh, help us to rejoice in all that God has given us in his prophecies. Very little will be said anywhere today about the prophecies of God. Sentimental little stories, but we're looking for divine truth. And so, Father, we thank thee that the divine truth is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and that he lived and was cut off, but that not for himself, but for us. Now, Father, bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.